Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur, with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today's guest is an entrepreneur who's making the world a better place. She's the co-founder and president of Dandelion Energy, a home geothermal company founded in 2017 out of Alphabet Access Projects. They make and install home geothermal systems that are affordable for their customers. They've already raised over $23 million and will probably raise a lot more given how fast they're growing. She's won awards like the St. Gallen Symposium's Leader of Tomorrow. She was Albany's Business Review's 40 Under 40, Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business, MIT's Tech Review, 35 Under 35. In 2020, she became a TED Fellow, Business Insider's Rising Star of Clean Energy, U.S. Department of Energy Award winner, and the City and State of New York's Energy and Environmental Power 100. She's an entrepreneur who's making the world better. She's not a great entrepreneur. She's not. A, she's just an amazing entrepreneur. So please join me in learning some amazing things from today's guest, Kathy Hannon. Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's really great to have you. Thanks for having me on the show today. Well, thank you. As I was joking, and I've actually talked about this on the thing, I'm living in Southern Spain and I'm moving back to the U.S. later this, well, actually later this year because I'm in the school year of my, well, my children are in school year. So for me, the year really is <laughs> September to June. But when I'm after the school year, I'll be moving back to the States. And I've been looking at houses and looking at seeing if geothermal is something that would be possible for us. So I'm really excited to get you on the show. Hopefully we can talk a little bit about that later on. But Going through your background, looking at what you've done at Google, looking at the other things you've done with California, I really would love to hear more about how you see where you are on your journey as an entrepreneur, because this is such a great company that you're a co-founder of. How do you see where you are as an entrepreneur right now? Well, when I became an entrepreneur in 2017, it wasn't something I had ever planned to do. I think I just ended up starting a company because I believed so strongly in the problem that we were solving and believed so strongly that geothermal heat pumps had a role to play. But now that I've done it for four years, four and a half years, even though it's been certainly some of the most challenging times I've ever had, I don't think I could ever not be an entrepreneur. It's once, once I've, now that I've done it, I can probably will never be able to go back because I think there's just, it's a huge privilege to just be able to work on a problem that you deeply care about all the time. And some people are lucky enough to get to find that in a profession that they get to join. So my mom, for example, was, is a doctor and just loves being a doctor. But I think for others of us, the thing we really want to do doesn't have a clear career path and entrepreneurship is certainly one way to design it as you go. So given that when 17 and now 14, how do you see your own skills and your approach to being an entrepreneur? How have you seen that changed over the past four years? Yeah, so much. I think some of the things 
that have just to give a few examples of some of the things that have really changed at the very beginning, my tendency was whenever I saw a problem at the company or in the business, I would try to solve it myself. And I think that tendency gets a lot of us into entrepreneurship to begin with. It's like that confidence or uh, recklessness, one or the other, that makes you feel like, oh, I can solve that problem. I, I can go solve it, even if you're not really qualified uh, to solve it. And that worked well at the beginning, potentially, just for getting the company started. But then it started to become clear that it wasn't a very efficient way to run a company. You have to be able, as an entrepreneur, as the company grows, you're really building the company. You're building the machine that has to solve the problems. As the founder, you can't just try to solve everything yourself because one, you're really not the best at solving almost all. And some of them, but most of the problems you're not the best at solving. And then two, it's just obviously going to limit your growth if you force yourself to be the one to do the solving. You have to empower those on your team to do it, right? And so the company can evolve and become better. That was a huge lesson for me. And I would say transformation over time where now I can take more pride in empowering others and trying to set the pieces in place and set the right people in place for success rather than trying to tackle problems directly all the time. I think another thing is when you're at the beginning, a lot more can exist in people's heads, right? Like you have a vision in your mind. And if there are only a few people, you're talking to each other enough that visions in people's minds is okay. But very quickly, the organization outgrows that. And it's so important to have the skill set of just writing things down. And I feel like writing things down is a skill that isn't talked about enough. And I think it really sets some of the best performers apart. Just people who are very good at writing things down in a structured, understandable way so that others can be brought along and really understand what's going on. So that communication in all forms has been super important. Yeah, because I was like jumping to a couple of things. So you find it as like in getting the company culture, company mission, articulating that through writing and repeating and getting in that Transfer. Or even if it's something, yes, but also something as routine and mundane as what is our process for qualifying customers? Just every little thing, right? Every little process. You don't want to go overboard and have too much bureaucracy. So I'm not trying to say that, but it's when things are tribal knowledge as opposed to written out documents or just like places where people can find information, it just becomes much more difficult to disseminate tribal knowledge and to get new hires onboarded and to move people from one role to another and do a lot of the things that you need to do in order to scale the company. So I think you have to evolve beyond tribal knowledge to scale. And that's not easy. Now you referenced it was something you learned. Was there a situation that sort of occurred or had you seen this? Because Google you know, is a little company. I think you worked at Google. Yeah, you know, They're known for their management practices. Is this something you knew and you just all of a sudden started seeing how you could use it in the environment here with Dandelion or is it something? So how did you come about to put so much importance on something like this? Yeah, I would say that even when I was at Google, my job was as a rapid evaluator. So I worked on a very small team trying to find new ideas for Google X to pursue. And so while Google's culture does emphasize things like OKRs, and there is a certain amount of goal setting and tracking, I think even in those roles, it wasn't as important for my own achieving my goals as it is now as 
one of the leaders of a company that's we have like over 140 people now. So I think it's I think it's more it's not like there was one incident where everything failed because nothing was written down. It's more just like time and time again, I see really talented team members who just aren't good at writing things down and how much that limits their influence and ability to get what they want done. And I also see just like people who happen to be really good at recording things and like disseminating information and how much that really impacts the way they're seen in the organization and their ability to get their projects done. So I guess I mention it more because I think it's a skill that was never really well advertised to me when I was trying to figure out how to grow my career. But as a now executive at a company, it really does seem to be one that I think we should emphasize more. Yeah, the simpleness of it is really, it's a lot of fun because it's, oh yeah, and then you go, but it really is true. It's like how to make sure things live. And I know one of my weaknesses and definitely my team will share is I have no problem articulating ideas, but if I don't write them down and I don't force myself to repeat the structure, every time I say it, even though the kernel is the same, I explain it differently because I'm going off the top of my head. So I really, I do like that concept of, yeah, just write it down, get it so it's consistent. All the different reasons, you can take a lot of different variables from that of why it's important. But I really do like that. (laughs) I'm like now like, all right, maybe I will do more looms. Well, okay, write it down. Like you write it down. Let's say it's something you want everyone to agree to do. You put it in writing. Everyone decides, are they going to agree to this or not? You record this the answer, right? Like it is written down that on this date, we all agreed that this is the plan. And then if there's a disagreement in the future, you have something to refer back to, right? It becomes less personal. And then similarly, if you do have a process that's important to the business and it's not written down anywhere, it's pretty likely that everyone is doing the process differently because things tend towards disorganization, not the other way around. I don't know. It's, it is simple. It's like very simple and surprisingly hard to do because I think it forces accountability both from oneself and from one's team, which is important. Yeah. And I just like it and and I'm thinking on tools and stuff, but I think it's more about starting with the basic process of doing so and then kind of expanding it out. I'm taking you up because I'm like, you really, just because I'm struck a nerve there with me because I'm like, huh, that is really something I need to work on. Oh, okay. (laughs) See, this is also why I do these because it's, oh, I need to learn. Yeah. I've been a journeyman entrepreneur for so long, but to get better is to have people who are doing unique and their own journey to see what's going on. All right. It wasn't anything that happened. It was just something you started noticing as you guys grew, as you all grew. Is this something like a tool? Is there I know when you said to get everyone to agree off, there are, I've seen everything from embedded Slack apps to third-party tools that kind of capture that type of thing. Do you use something like that? Or is it more of just, hey, here's something. Can you just agree or disagree with me so we have, so we know we're all on the same page? How... Yeah, we have a few examples of this, and I don't know that we're doing it the right way. I think there are so many different ways to do it that are all fine, but the ways we happen to do it are we use a tool called monday.com to record um, OKRs and just projects because you can assign who's going to do what by when and is it done. So the basics are easy on monday.com. We use Confluence which is a shared, almost like shared documentation. So we document, in our case, 
what are all the steps to go through to design a geothermal system for a house? And what do you do in all the different situations you might find in a house? Everything from that to things like, how do you install a heat pump correctly? And what are all the things that you look for? And how do you confirm it's working correctly? And then we also have sometimes, I'm a very intuitive thinker. So I actually have to be forced to do this myself because I don't know, I just, I think it's easier for me to have things clear in my own mind than to put them down on paper in a way that's clear to others, which is probably true of a lot of people. But sometimes I come up with some sort of idea and one of my teammates will be like, okay, could you, could you put that in a document of some sort so we can all review it together? And it doesn't need to be a document. It could be a presentation. It could be anything, right? They're asking like, really interesting. Let's get that recorded somewhere so we all have a chance to have a real discussion about it. And it is so helpful. It's, it really brings out the details. And often the details are the things that matter when it comes to taking an idea and actually making it implementable. So that, yeah. Those are some of the things that we do. Pattern recognition, I'm very good at, and that's what I do. And I like your idea of, yeah, I have to not just articulate it because sometimes it seems so clear in our head. And then when you say it, you're like, oh, it's not there. So writing out, getting in in such a way that other people can engage with it and bring their value to it. All right. Sorry, I interrupted you. You said a few. (laughs) I'm sorry. I stopped you at two to dive into this. I could... There's so many things that I've learned on this entrepreneurship journey. I guess another thing is, this is a big one for me anyway. I think at the beginning, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, including definitely myself, feel like the fate of the company and whether the company is a success or failure is the same as whether we are a success or failure as a person. I felt so much anxiety at the beginning because like most seed stage companies, there was a lot of existential questions about Dandelion at the beginning. And it felt to me like if this company fails, I've let my customers down. I've let my investors down. I've let my employees down. I've told the world I'm going to do this thing. And if I fail to do it, that makes me feel just the idea of that made me feel horrible. And it also just made me put so much pressure on myself to not let it fail. And I have to say, I do think a lot of some of that was productive in the sense that I've never tried so hard. (laughs) And I think like, companies are really hard. And so it's important to put a lot of effort in that said, I've learned over the past four and a half years, how to moderate myself a little bit more and disconnect my own identity from the fate of the company. And just, I think I have just a healthier relationship to the company. And it's not like when the company's going well, I feel jubilant. And when the company is facing headwinds, I don't feel this existential dread. And that's been important because how do you live in that sort of emotional state so long? It's just agonizing. So that's been a big one. No, that's very good. As someone who I know with my last company that I was able to sell off, I was so caught up into everything that I literally had gotten to the point where I just took the offer because I couldn't go any further. I had too many ups and downs and left, right, and center. So yeah, working on this is something I do hear from a lot of entrepreneurs like yourself. Working on that delineation, working on understanding the successes that come from your effort and enjoying it, the hard work, but also keeping that separating, making sure that you prioritize yourself separate from the identity. And I know I look back at my whole company, I'm like, wait, was my name Andrew or was it the jargon? Wait, which one was it? Yeah. Yeah. So, 
that is really good. looking at it. No, I like that a lot. Looking at dandelion and looking at where you're playing, there's so much that's going on around entrepreneurial efforts to, to deal with climate change, to deal with the environment issues and everything. I really, there, it seems like the opportunity is there for so much change, but at the same time, it feels like <laughs> everything is just a little too little too late. How are you seeing dandelion impact in helping the environment or at least reducing the impact that just heating room temperatures? I love your TEDx piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. just room temperature, just helping people get to room temperature. How do you see dandelion's impact here? Well, most heating is done using fossil fuels today. And heating and cooling is responsible for more than half of the greenhouse gas emissions that come from buildings. So even if you put solar panels on your roof, more than half of your emissions are still coming from fossil fuels. And that's a lot more than half if you live in a cold climate. And the thing is, like heat pumps have existed for a really long time. So there's no... We know the solution. It's going to be heat pumps. There are just some obstacles standing in the way of heat pumps being widely deployed in the U.S. And I and that's really why Dandelion exists. It's let's help solve the problem of energy in homes. Let's get homes to 100% renewable energy. But I think we feel that in order to do that, you have to actually make that value proposition less expensive to homeowners than it would be to keep status quo or else the change won't happen. And there just hasn't been a natural owner of that problem. Like there, there aren't a lot of existing companies well-structured to take that on for, and we could get into that if that's interesting. But so I, I do think it was going to have to be an either a new entrant or an existing company that was willing to pivot into something pretty different. And so that was why it seemed like there was a real role for Dandelion to play. Like none of the reasons that make geothermal heat pumps or to be honest, air source heat pumps, not as popular as they could be in the U.S., none of those reasons were unsolvable. They just, no one was, think of all the people working on electric vehicles. Think of all the people working on solar and wind. Compared to those industries, almost no one is working on this problem. But this problem is so, it's it makes such a huge contribution to greenhouse gas emissions. In talking with other entrepreneurs, what they sometimes see when they look at a market, it's all the different lovely things. But in something like this, is it a regulatory or is it an engineering delivery? Because you said someone to deal with this problem and kind of come. Yeah. What direction? Or is it all the above? <laughs> yeah, it's all of the above. Just to give a few examples. So let's think about geothermal specifically, geothermal heating and cooling. Existing players in the space have been H local HVAC and drilling companies. And local, these tend to be service companies and service companies tend to be small and local. 90% of HVAC companies have 10 employees or less. And local is really good for something like replacing a furnace when it breaks, but it's not very good for overcoming some of these challenges standing in the way of geothermal adoption, including, for example, these companies can't, don't have the capital or talent to invest as heavily in innovation. So for example... The companies aren't well positioned to create the data analytics you need in order to size the ground loop correctly, which is the part of the system that extends into the ground. And so they routinely make the ground loops 50% bigger than they need to be just to be on the safe side. But making them 50% bigger also makes them 50% more expensive than they need to be. And compounding the problem 
instead of investing in purpose-built drilling rigs to put the ground loops in the ground, small drilling companies just use the water well rigs that they already have. But those water well rigs are three times as expensive and much more destructive to lawns and driveways. And to give another example, what we've seen from the solar industry is that offering a financing product so somebody can pay nothing up front and pay for the product with their savings, that's been hugely influential in letting solar scale as quickly as it has. But none of the existing players in geothermal are able to create and launch a financing product. Yeah. And then maybe one last example is it's really important to be able to install a standardized product at scale in order to bring costs down and benefit from economies of scale. But these small local companies don't really have the marketing budgets or expertise to be able to acquire customers at scale. It's more often a a referral-based business, which has led to the state of the status quo, which is one-off boutique sort of high-end geothermal installations instead of this mass market product. I have to say, as someone who is planning on having when I move back to the States and buy a house, I was really fascinated by your company because, yes, the experience you're talking, just the research I've done has been, it literally is region by region. There wasn't, there's very little, there are people talking about it, but the players involved really were region by region having to go, okay, if I'm going to live here, is there someone who does it even or finding it or seeing what's available and then pricing ranges a thing with very little quality control understanding from a consumer point of view. Now that would almost, given that you said it's referral, do you see for your own business, for us to cut down the line going, do you offer these companies like, oh, We do a referral if you bring someone to us or are you purely on your own direct-to-consumer efforts? Yeah, we do both. So we have a referral program, but also we do a lot of consumer marketing as well. And I think part of our challenge is raising awareness. I think there's still a lot of homeowners that actually haven't even heard of geothermal and don't realize that they have an alternative to fuel oil or propane heating. So we've spent a lot of effort just trying to get the word out even that this technology has existed for decades, it's ready to go. And now with Dandelion, we're able to offer a price that's less expensive than what people are currently paying, which is pretty important to motivate people to make a change. Yeah. And I really think because in looking and part of my research had been like, oh, I want this. Okay. I'm going to do solar. Great. All right. Well, okay. This and region and how big can I make it? What else? How far can I get? And then, oh, gee. And then realizing that takes so much load and so much of the opportunity and oh okay maybe that because i think there's enough research that we're getting close not close but we're in this point where potentially we could have access to so much energy that it's not going to be a question of how to be more efficient but how to use more but something like that where you are it sets that foundation so then okay yeah i can go do solar and i can do the electric car, and I can do all these other things because heating and everything is taken care of. Sorry, I'm just geeking a bit on that. really do love that. Do you see, Dana, do you see you partnering with various solar companies besides a certain guy shooting rockets off into space and wanting to go to Mars? 
there are, I've started seeing companies that are doing other roof, like electrical or doing straight electric. Do you, or do you see yourself further expanding beyond geothermal? I think that, so we have partnered in the past and currently with some solar companies. For example, we recently launched a partnership with a company called Solstice that offers community solar. So anyone who lives within one of their territories, you don't even need to put solar on your roof. You can just sign up with them a month to get solar energy from the local community. And it is less expensive than what you would be paying for electricity otherwise without a commitment. So it's amazing deal. So we start, and it's a natural pair for a heat pump because heat pumps run on electricity. So you're making your heat pump less expensive by running it on green energy. So we are really interested in expanding that type of effort. And I would say that to your question of whether Dandelion will expand beyond geo, I would say, yeah, I think the company's name is Dandelion Energy. We really, our mission is to provide renewable energy for homes. And so geo is a great initial product because you get a lot of bang for your buck. Like it's by far the most efficient way to heat or cool your home. And so we're able to save homeowners a lot of money, but it doesn't make sense in all cases. I think it makes a lot of sense where it's cold in the winter, where you have enough space for the ground loop for homeowners who don't mind getting a ground loop installed. But there are a lot of other types of homes where air source heat pumps might be the right answer. So so yeah, I think it's the first step in what will hopefully be a suite of products that can really get us to the goal of zero emissions from homes. Cool. I like that. And I like that brought the movement towards a broader mission. Now, is that kind of the, the take care of the energy needs or is it little by little expanding the mission of the company, seeing what happens as you move out there? One thing that's been nice about all the work we've done making geothermal more cost effective is I think we really have learned a lot about how homes use energy and all of the obstacles that are standing in the way of transitioning homes off of fossil fuels. So I don't know exactly what our roadmap will look like years and years into the future, but I think we're building up a lot of really useful insights for helping us figure out how to stage each additional product line one of the one of the next things we'll probably do is expand from retrofit into new construction. So from 2017 until now, we've mostly gone into homes that already exist, take out the furnace or boiler, put in a geothermal heat pump. I think that pretty soon we'll start looking at let's not make the problem worse and continue to build new homes that have fossil heating in them. Let's just build new homes with heat pumps and at least for that class of home they'll be solved for and then we still have to go back and retrofit all the existing ones but that could be two two interesting you know models because the construction industry and i have my brother is in building and all this and i have nod my head and a lot about the real estate okay you have your passion i understand looking at it and like when a row of condos are going up or stuff the idea of being able to put in either individual or a shared and that could be amazing for the impact that could have on energy. As you look and you guys have expanded, as you said, I was looking at the company LinkedIn and it was like X growth of this, X senior people added to the team. LinkedIn is fun sometimes in that. But how do you see the success you're having? How do you see success as an entrepreneur? I would say that some of the core 
skills I want to build as an entrepreneur is just continuing to get better at attracting resources towards the problems that I'd like to see solved. And by resources, I mean money and people, right? Talent. So I think it's like continuing to build my understanding of how to get things done. That's such a general thing to say, but like who to go to for what type of problem, what type of strategy works best in different situations. How do I identify the the right person for the job during an interview, which is like such a difficult thing to be able to do, but so powerful if you can figure out how to do it. How to how to really continue to help the people that are on my team really thrive and make sure that they are really enjoying being part of whatever mission we're taking on at that time, trying to get the best out of people. All of those things are skills that I would love to just continue to get better at over the course of my career as an entrepreneur. That's good because, yeah, I think so many people think entrepreneurism is something where like someone goes, they have this great idea and then they go off and work for a gazillion hours and nowadays sometimes three years, but usually that five to eight to 10 plus years later, something big happens. Oh, I have to be able to articulate. I have to be able to write things down in a way that other people can understand. I need to be able to follow up. I need to be able to tell stories that engage the right type of audiences at the right time. As you said, raise the money, um, hire the right people, know when to hire the right people. That's a challenge of growing as an entrepreneur. No, that's really cool to see. So do you, and, I, and then I went off on a different thing, but getting back as you continue working on these and down the road and you become better, do you have a concept of what success will look like for you? I do think that there's a lot you can't control in the world, most things. And that's true no matter who you are, entrepreneur or otherwise. And so I do think success for me is just getting better and better at the things that we just talked about, regardless of the outcomes, if I can feel good about the process, and if I can give the problems I'm trying to solve the best shot, if I feel like I'm giving them the best shot, then even if something happens and it doesn't work out, I don't think I've learned how to not take that as hard. It's like, I see my job now more as doing everything I can to put the conditions for success in place and being more accepting. That's all we can, any of us can do. So to be more specific, I think success for me will look like spending my time going after problems that matter to me, doing so with people that have integrity, that are good people, that are talented, ideally much more talented than I am, and conducting business in a way that just is enjoyable and has good ethics and tries to bring the best talents out of everyone around the table. I think it can be so fun when you get really talented people together to solve a problem that matters and you're able to draw the best out of everyone. What a fun team to get to be a part of. And it's the most likely to work just because if you're able to motivate everyone behind a really inspiring mission and draw out the best in them, of course, it's most likely that then you'll succeed. But even if you don't, it's like still so rewarding. So I think that's really what I hope to create. Yeah. I mean, I think as journey as an entrepreneur, I mean, I always joke, it's like 
I've said to people, it's like some of my biggest failures were the coolest things that let me grow. And I got a lot of that. And then I reference not ready. So God, that I don't know if you've watched TV and stuff, but it was um, control alt delete the um, one about the eighties startup. And it was just like a group of people. They had an early game company and it kind of evolved to an online service. And it was like, Oh yeah, wait. Yeah. Cause like they failed at everything. They ended up being successful individually. They created things. And I think it is that because of the effort, consistent effort to become better. I think the other thing is like, there's always a next round in the sense that not, I don't mean round of funding. I just mean, you never know where the journey will lead. So as you're saying, it's like hard to, it's hard to know if something is a failure or if it's just the necessary step on your way to the thing that you're actually going to do. And I think that's true in human relationships. If you date somebody who's not right for you and it's so painful when you break up, but you learn something about yourself and then that helps you figure it out. And it's true in business as well, where, yeah, as you're saying, I think it's very hard for us to even, as long as you're behaving ethically and like doing reasonable things, there is a version of failure that's real, which is You just break the law or do something you clearly shouldn't have done, an unforced error. But like in terms of just trying, doing things as best as could be done and it doesn't work out, it's very hard to know. Is that a failure or is that just you explored one branch of the possibility tree? It came to a dead end. So now you're going to regroup and go down a different branch. And that's sort of how exploration works, right? Yeah, and you now, and having been playing around though as a journeyman, more it is that like new branch. All of a sudden, you're like, oh wait a second, okay, I remember some of this. Okay, there's a little muscle memory. There's a little bit of okay. I think we can. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that is a lot of fun. So, Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll make sure. Dandelions in the show notes about you, where to find you, where to look at Dandelion. If you're in, you're expanding, you're mostly in the Northeast. I noticed New York, Connecticut right now. And I saw that and expanding to Western Vermont, New York. But yeah. Oh, Massachusetts. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, Vermont is definitely perfect. Having spent plenty of winters skiing on the ice up there. Well, I do like Vermont skiing, but I'm a New Yorker. I live in Europe now, so I'm getting spoiled. But I guess all West Coasters also get spoiled <laughs> yeah. from the Rockies. But uh, no, this has been great having you on. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to hear more about how Dandelion grows and definitely about your journey too. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening, everyone. I really enjoyed speaking with Kathy and just the way she was putting things that were very simple seeming yet complex is sticking in my head after this interview here. I definitely, the concept of just writing things down as part of your entrepreneurial journey, we hear about journaling, we hear about things, but her utilization of it is specifically around consensus building and aligning people around their OKRs, since that was the process she's using in reference, but just in writing things down. It's something I think we get caught up too much in our things and forget. Sometimes it's as simple as just saying, okay, here, I wrote it down. Does this agree with you or not? If you do, sign and we're good. Yeah, there's a lot I'm going to be taking away. And definitely there, the focus she brings to where they're going, where Dandelion Energy is providing. And as someone who's been researching this very type of solution and seeing very disjointed options out there, it was amazing to hear her focus on building the company to provide such a consistent 
offering. When I move back to the States, I sincerely believe I'll be looking to move someplace where they service. All right, everyone. Down below in the show notes, we're going to have links to Dandelion Energy, to Kathy. Please go check it out. And if you're in any place where they service, go look up what's going on because it will save you a lot of money and it's really just good for the planet. Once again, below, (laughs) the links for Kathy. We'll have our social media. We'd love to have you join. Talk about, it would be great to know more about what you as an entrepreneur think is important in, in the green space for being environmentally friendly. What is our responsibility as entrepreneurs? Do you believe we have responsibilities? All right, everyone. Thank you again for coming and listening to us. I can't wait to talk to you again. All right. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.